Hey there, folks, and welcome to Bread and Poetry, a podcast about poetry and bread for everyone. I'm your host, Dianelli Antigua, Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Poet Laureate of Your Hearts. On this podcast, we talk to the people in our community, the poets and the non-poets alike, about poetry and what it means to them. In the words of Roque D'Alton, I believe the world is beautiful and that poetry, like bread, is for everyone. With me today is Alatonde Asanaki, poet and four-middle-named person, as he says. <laughs> I'll read his bio first. Originally from the west side of Chicago, Alatonde Osanaki is a Nigerian-American poet, essayist, and software developer. He is the author of Tenderheaded, winner of the 2022 National Poetry Series, and forthcoming this December from Akashic Books. His work has received fellowships and support from poets and writers, Hurston Wright Foundation, Kenyan Review Writers Workshop, and the Institute for the Study of Global Racial Justice at Rutgers University. He lives in Atlanta with his dearest and would like to thank you. Welcome, Olatunde. Thanks for having me, Dianelli. You're reading that bio and I'm like, yeah, four, four, four middle names. That makes me sound so much more interesting than I am, really. Yeah, I was about to ask, Tell, can you share with us your four middle names? Is that cool, May? You? Yeah, so my parents are overachievers. I'm not sure how they settled on four rather than three or why not five. Before mm-hmm. is where they landed. One is Matthew. Uh, Dion, actually, in the time of Dion Sanders, it, I was named after Dion Sanders. So that's the second one. Though it's spelled like Celine Dion, so it doesn't, okay. take, it doesn't have the E in it. Uh, there, and then two, there are two remaining are both Nigerian. So Delapo, which means double joy, and Oluwase, which means God has done this. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> they were dope. Um, double yeah. joy? Double oh joy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I should go by it more often, I guess. But <laughs> What were the two Nigerian ones again? Delapo and Oluwashei. Oh, wow. Double joy and God has done this? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think thinking of double joy, I feel like just talking to you, like you embody double joy, not just like joy, but like double. double <laughs> <joy>. <laughs> yeah, double stuff, Oreos, all of that. The best kind. <laughs> Like double mint gum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so let's break bread. Olatunde, what role do you play in your local community? Migrant one, I'd say, to start, because I'm not from Atlanta, but I'm based in Atlanta for folks listening, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking a lot about my role in community and how much I'd like to expand it. Uh, I'm from Chicago which has a rich history with the word, spoken word. I have friends that grew up in that poetry scene. There's a lot of festivals and things that happen there. And there's a lot of talent, a lot of people that are engaged in a lot of those same ways in Atlanta, but I am not yet connected to them. Um, I'm not really often in or tied into spaces with those folks. Uh, so I've been trying to tie in further. So I'm thinking about the endemic of isolation in my life a bit. It kind of appears in different ways. And if we're thinking about Black possibility, I bring up poetry in the spaces that I, I occupy, which are largely 
STEM ones, my volunteering with a program like Caterpillar's Promise, shout out to them, which is devoted to STEAM. I'm no longer part of the board, but the project and all the projects that I'm very interested in are ones that can bring together what they call the two halves of the mind. I really think of that as kind of outdated because I think a lot of people have that spirit of artistry, um, whether they are in a technical field or not. And poetry has a lot of tactics at hand. So that it, it's just such a, it's such a, I don't know, it's uh, dilutes it so much thinking of poetry or where I, I'm dealing with, so I, I'm, I'm a software developer. So dealing in that world, how people think of writing and literature can also be a bit diluted and how, you know, I can go on and on and about it, but yeah, my communities, which I, I occupy, just trying to bring them together maybe day by day. Mm, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about what you said about the two halves of the mind. Mm -hmm. And I was recently reading with Oliver De La Paz and he apparently started off in STEM and mm. now he's this amazing poet. And he was talking about one of the reasons why he loves sonnets is because at the root of it, it's math. I was like, what? My mind is blown. <laughs> it is math. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, actually, when I first got, I guess, funny story, when I first got into poetry, it was, I was, I was around the time I was doing coding in college, and I just wanted to, like, not do coding. It's it's very tiring to stare in a screen all the time. So I picked up a book, and I started to do, like, this, like, meter count, like, how many syllables in a, in a sentence, and that expanded to, like, haikus and things of that nature. We know that scansion, of course, but yeah, I counting. I really like counting a lot of different things. I'm walking down a path, like what can I recognize I didn't see before? Maybe the, a lyric to a song, like how that's working, the, the working enjambment of the line aloud even. So yeah, counting math. He's, he's right. The diaspora sonnets, I believe. Yeah, that, that's a great, great collection. So yeah. Oh man. So the most important question of the show, Olatunde, what's your favorite kind of bread? Even though I'm on this podcast, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Don't I, play I with think, me. <laughs> right. No, I, I can't fully prepare to, to bring up cornbread because that's, it's just, it's just my thing. Like my grandma made a ton of cornbread. My, my youngest brother, we almost have, had competitions growing up about like who could eat the most cornbread a big gluttonous, I, I must say. But yeah, I, we, we I just came back from the grocery store. Actually, we just got some cornbread. So cornbread appears a lot in my life. Of course, I am not, I'm not going to say that I don't particularly care for that. But I, I will say that the one that comes to mind is Puff Puff. I'm not sure. Have you heard of Puff Puff? No, tell me more. Yeah, it's a Nigerian fried dough snack. You kind of make in batches. I like that with Nigerian food, you have to make it in mass. Like you never really make it just for, even if you want it for yourself, you make it by the boatloads. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Nigerian American. My mom is American, Chicago, native born. Um, my, my dad is Nigerian and first generation. So he came here and of course I, I'm after, but I don't have like the greatest relationship with my dad, though it's growing around the time I got married. It was like a desire of mine to to, to see what we can do um, with that relationship. But yeah, so growing up, though, I didn't like know how to make a lot of Nigerian food. I just knew how it tasted when it was right. And when I happened to be in contact with cousins and family on that side, you know, jollof rice, uh, stew, and puff puff came up a lot. So I, I have 
Maybe not plenty of stories, but the ones that stand out in my mind about making bread have to do with Puff Puff and making him the batches. I made it for my wife. I've made it um, oh. for friends. And they're always some like, hey, like you don't even talk about <laughs> Puff Puff a lot, but these, these are pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I should <laughs> make them more. You are right. So yeah, mm. I think I think of Puff Puff. Yeah, yeah. As, your, as your favorite? Yeah, my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Cornbread second, close second, but Puff Puff probably won. Okay. Maybe you've already talked about this, but I'm wondering if you could tell us about a beautiful, powerful, or challenging memory that includes bread. I mean, it could be about Puff Puff. It could be about cornbread. It could be about something else. Yeah. Yeah. So Puff Puff, as I mentioned, a little bit of a freight relationship. I, I learned how to make Puff Puff coming into my own like in, independence. I was a bit of an obedient kid. Like I didn't mm-hmm. really go anywhere except that I wasn't supposed to be, which meant that I was always where I should have been. So Coming out of college, I was like, I have the fortune to have my own apartment and learning what that could mean. And Puff Puff was one of the first things I tried to make disastrously so. It, like, it's a lot of oil, it involves a lot of oil and it's just popping all over the place. I'm pretty sure it was a fire hazard, whatever I did that day. And then my first job was like a pyramid scheme. Like, you weren't getting paid that much. It's a lot of commission stuff, talk. And I, I didn't last there long. And that weekend, I I tried my hand again at Puff Puff. I'm not sure why I kept getting pulled back to Puff Puff. Maybe because it was a comfort food and maybe also something that I didn't feel, I feel like I knew well enough, maybe. Like, it allowed me to learn. It allowed me to be in a lab and learn more of the things that I'm already inextricably linked to by association. Uh, to learn, think that something that I could share, I knew, I maybe I know what it is to be a bit removed, detached from part of your identity. So if I can share that with myself, then maybe I can share that with my brothers as we come up and learn more about who we are, right? So yeah, that weekend, like, it's not the best prior batch I've ever made, maybe because there was no, like, no pressure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that sticks out to me because of that. I just, I like learning and almost opposite to who I am really I like learning in isolation because it doesn't put me on the forefront whereas poetry is is so endlessly in community that it's always me outside of my comfort zone in that way like I if I am playing with the page or if I am if I am in a workshop talking about poetry with someone else I always feel like I'm not the most learned I, I even think about open mouth when we met I felt so much like an imposter <laughs> Like I, I was writing and I was just like, hey, I was fortunate enough to have poems published, a chapbook at the time, and to have Molly and Peter and Bailey and those folks reach out to me, of all people. It didn't feel real. And then being in that space and Nomads, I think it was, and just listening to you read, listening to Jung read, Zaina, you know, we're Korean, Palestinian, Dominican, we, 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 we're all over the place, right? So I know. Just bringing what little I am or feeling small, but feeling like I could, I can grow into something. It's so special to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell people more about how we met, like more about the open mouth? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's this reading series festival, um, in Northwest Arkansas. I mentioned Molly, uh, Bailey, Peter, I think Molly is still the executive director there. Mm. Um, they do a great job of stretching the senses it's tied into the University of Arkansas, but 
it's it's just a, such a beautiful space. And I remember yeah. meeting all three of you all along with the, the festival openers and y'all were just lovely people. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's in the not poetry world, if I could say so. It's so bureaucratic. It's so still, it's not like a live, a live process mm-hmm. to be in a live space. And just sharing that and just being able to hear y'all and hear what the work means to you you stuck out to me ugly music of course i'm so excited for your forthcoming collection i already have it on my tbr uh, list (laughs) but just like i don't know like you can like pick up on so many devices and so many things that are gears that are turning in someone else nearby and open mouth exposed me to that in my poetry my my formative maybe poetry honestly it's still probably still formative but yeah that that's the standout, the standout, mm. that experience. Yeah. And that was actually around this time of year in 2019. Yeah. yeah, yeah I remember it was like, a, yeah, it was a little bit before Halloween. The air was kind of crisp, even in Arkansas. Like it was a nice temperature. I was wearing like a sweatshirt. Yeah. It was a beautiful experience. And just, I loved that we were people of color coming together and sharing our work and like talk about like diaspora. <laughs> like we were all taken like from so many different places, appearing in a place that like none of us are from. <laughs> truly yeah. from. We're just like, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, here, here I am. And I'm supposed to be here. No, and but no. we're not supposed to be there, but we're supposed to be there. Right. You know? And I think that's they really built community there, the open mouth reading series in a lovely way. And I I feel really fortunate. So I think you mentioned this before, but is there any more you want to add to your origin story of poetry? Like what brought you to poetry? Yeah, it's a bit of an estranged one. I think about, I I was a bit, I don't know if the doubt came first or the timidity, but Mm. however that worked, a bit doubtful of the word, like what it could mean. I had a bit of a stutter growing up. I was I was very shy and wasn't much of a reader. So like maybe I, I felt my my place with math. Like it was always like, oh, I'm good at math and thank God I was. Like, <laughs> like if I wasn't then it, it was gonna be rough for you boy. But like I I, I, don't, I had that and then going from grade school to high school took up Latin and Greek for four years. And okay. so words, yeah, I was, yeah, I was classes club kid. I was always, I was the epics, pattern poems. I was that guy. And as I mentioned, like scansion around that same time was a thing that I, I relied on to maybe make meaning or sense of my position and understanding or getting understanding of documentation and unfamiliarity with the word. So I gave me a bit of a false confidence in terms of poetry. And I think what exceeds that is the community that, I garnered at college. So Brian, Brian Birdlong, my roommate, he's a... Brian Birdlong? Yeah, that guy. the front door. Okay, that, okay. (laughs) Yeah, him. Yeah, he's a USC um, for all those that, man, I know Brian, but yeah, he's my roommate along with a few other folks. And VSW, I remember he like kind of like, hey, I'm like, searching for things to do. What are you up to? He's like, yeah, I'm going to this meeting. You want to come with me? And that was Vanderbilt's spoken word. Nate Marshall was there. Malcolm Friend was there. 
Tiara Mahong. They wow. are all lovely folks. And I like to think I came for the community and I love for the poetry. And at, at, that, at that time, I started to question, like, maybe I wasn't as unfamiliar as I maybe thought I was or perceived I was, right? So I, mm-hmm. growing up, there was, I don't know, I liked the billboards. I liked the the ability to peek into the word and maybe what it could do. So it was always like in short spouts, but yeah, now poetry is everything to me. So it's that gradual, that, that parabola, yes. if you will. <laughs> yeah. Of interest. I love that, that you came for the poetry and left with community. And that's similarly to my story as well. I, I started going to slam events and readings in the Massachusetts area as, you know, a little baby poet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I went there for the poetry. I'm like, oh, I'm going to read my poems, going to hear some poems. And then I left, I left with community. And then that's like the same work that I'm trying to do as poet laureate is getting- And are succeeding. <laughs> and are succeeding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. And like this podcast too, I'm hoping to build community with it. And, and I, I mean, I think, I think that's happening and it's like bringing me, we're breaking bread here. You and I, this is Certainly. community. And I'm I'm trying to think of the scripture. I think it's like where where two are gathered. In this name, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So like where two poets are gathered, this is this is our poetry church. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that spirit's <laughs> definitely there. And I mean that that's a that's a great that's a great thought. Like poetry. It's spirit, it's labor is like the key and the door. It's calibrating a lot of senselessness and sensitivity. I'm a pretty sensitive human. So that spirit is definitely there. We're all just turning through it together. Yeah, this is definitely a applied practice of, of gathering. So I thank you for having me and just having this space for others. And it's really yeah. cool. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so grateful that you, you reached out and you wanted to come on the podcast. And I was like, yes, duh. <laughs> <laughs> So now let's let's shift to to talking about poems that you brought in today. Okay. So you brought in Ahmad Jamal Johnson poem to share with us. Is there anything that we should know about the poem before you read it? Yeah, folks will notice with the collection. I don't think I've mentioned the word on the, the podcast, but music. Music is always on my mind, writing about it, thinking through it. For me, the poems that are music or have the musical intonation, maybe, are poems that nudge. Mm -hmm. So I think of poems that like show love to the senselessness. So Kaveh Akbar, Famous Americans, Why They're Wrong, Yusuf Komnyaka, like poetics. Like there there are some poems that stand out in my mind because they they do the work of, of insisting upon music. And this poem stands out for that same reason. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a poem that comes to mind. One, definitely one of my, my, my small little favorites that I keep in my back pocket. Awesome. Whenever you're ready to, to read it for us, please do. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This poem is entitled, Doo-Wop. You have to know something about wanting to be saved by a song where I've seen 
like a post-apocalyptic wave, a whole generation of hard-hearted men built for terror and self-sacrifice, all shatter against a single curb. My mother turned up every love song and sang as if the notes were liquid, filling her lungs. I think what scares me the most is that I've never seen her drunk. And in every car, the same tune is playing, as if that cry is holding the air, as if we are dying, as if we have never lived. Mm. Thank you. You read that so beautifully. And the the line breaks, like they were nice and crit ah, that was that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> That was the, poem, the poem often reads itself. Don't give me too much credit now. But okay, yes. <laughs> but some people don't know how to read the poem when we see it on the page. And you, sir, know how to read the poem on the page. And that is a gift. I, I truly believe that. I mean, it's one thing to be able to write a poem. And it's another thing to be able to also read a poem as well, whether it's your own or someone else's. And I, I yeah. Thank you. I feel blessed. (laughs) (laughs) I'll embrace what you give. Thank you. (laughs) It's that imposter syndrome. You're like, oh, fuck, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, definitely that. (laughs) Oh, this was amazing. So my first question is, and you mentioned music, and this poem is called Doo-Wop. Can you share with us a little bit about Doo-Wop itself as a musical genre and then how that comes into play in this poem? Yeah, I think of doo-wop, actually the dance it elicits. Um, it is so often synonymous with an era of music that, that has to do with enjoyment. And the poem, it it's a poem that cuts. It's it's very, very brief. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm really interested in meter. And something as together as a line dance, I think of doo-wop in the same way. Like it's, the point is the together, the spirit of of churning through with. And it starts, I can go back to it. You have to know something about wanting to be saved by a song or have seen. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that and I was like, Ahmad <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> so I started like counting and it, it, it was almost like lapses of haiku, but it gave you breath. And I think of doo-wop the same way. My mother is a big doo-wop fan. The genre built upon the blues, built upon jazz, but it's it's built, built upon a bounce mm-hmm. within rhythm. And so each time I read the poem, I, I reconsider what is knowing, right? Like you have to know something about even like a contempt for the have to, like the need to understand, to serve a purpose, uh, fill in the gap. It was almost, it, it started off sarcastic, then it started off or became something of a quelling and then afterwards maybe an invitation. And so mm-hmm. I think of the heat of this poem, <laughs> I think some folks call it as something that circulates because it kind of bounces, it comes back to you, a yo-yo, yes. a tennis ball off a wall, <laughs> that kind of that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I liked I liked what you said. What what does it mean to know? What is knowing? And you have to know something about wanting to be saved by a song. Do you feel like you've ever been saved by a song? 
Ooh. Ooh, good question. I like that. Yeah, ask absolutely. I am not shy about growing up. I, I grew up and I was a bit of a singer, so I was in choir like a lot of my life. Uh, <laughs> a lot of my life. And I think music has always allowed me to sort through the things I won't talk about. Mm. I'd rather hum about it or think about it on a low register. Uh, definitely songs have saved me more than once. And the things that I tussle with have probably already been written about but mm. from a different perspective. And so it allowed the world to be built more fully around what my initial thought is, that first theory, right? That theory of inhabitants, that theory of warmth. Yeah, song is... I don't know. I'm always, even in my writing practice, I'm always like listening to music. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. So. Yeah. Before this interview, knowing that we were going to read this poem, Doo-Wop, I was listening to a lot of Doo-Wop. So I was listening to the Five Satins, mm -hmm. a little bit of the Tokens, mm -hmm. the Drifters. I was just I was enjoying it so much. And like, talk about double joy like that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about double joy. That just, it it brought me back. It really did. It brought me back to a certain time in my life where I was listening to that type of music a lot. And my, my, my family, immigrant family, and a lot of the music that they gravitated towards was the oldies. Even mm. though my family came over in the 70s, 80s, they were listening to oldies. So that was... That was American music. So in my home, a lot of the times, if it was music in English, it was oldies. Mm -hmm. So it hearing this doo-wop music today and letting it play throughout my entire apartment, I was just brought back to that experience and that part of my identity to mm -hmm. how all of these things intersect in that one moment of listening to that music and then thinking about some of what doo-wop entails and some of the elements, part of it is nonsense. These right. phrases like doo-wop, doo-wop, <laughs> and try to think of other ones. What are you saying? <laughs> but I, yeah. I, it makes me think of poetry, and you were talking about Yusef and Kava Akbar and how they're so focused on the music of something and not so much about the sense making and duop is like that also it's about the the musicality of something as opposed to like okay this is what duop means or i'm trying to think of more examples of of nonsensical things that were in the songs i was listening to but i'm drawing a blank at the moment but they don't mean really anything or do they mean everything <laughs> you know and it I have so many thoughts right now, but it's also reminding me too of the way in which we encounter language, especially if we are bilingual and we're learning one of the other languages. When I first maybe encountered English or or Spanish, sometimes it sounds like nonsense because we don't understand what they mean. Mm. But once we are able to assign it meaning it holds so much and i think that as poets we assign words meaning right mm. we we make them matter mm. even if they don't make sense absolutely i think she has that talent of the yes i call it it's ability to affirm not the desire of your heart but what your heart is needing to desire oh right so like 
I think of the poem even, right? I can't see for a mod, but as a reader, I'm thinking, am I, am I trusted to linger here? Am I intruding? Oh, wow. And does it matter? Mm. Does it matter though, right? Like acapella harmony. We talked about doo-wop, right? Like the wop, 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 wop. <laughs> and the bounce of it, but also there's a hypnosis there. Like every time they snap, it's there's an opportunity to to pull in further and be affirmed by what you're hearing, what you're what you're feeling. So yeah, I I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Max. <laughs> <laughs> I I try. Like I I really like to have conversations that are as organic as possible. And you wrote some notes when I sent you the interview questions initially, I didn't look at them. I was like, nope, I can't. <laughs> then it stunts my my ability to be able to say semi-intelligent things. So I appreciate you letting me go on my little nonsense tangent. Love the, about love the tangents. Yeah, love the tangents. <laughs> That's math too. <laughs> so I, I want to just bring Ahmad's voice into the room, if I may. And so he did an interview with the Adroit Journal and... Let me find a good starting point. All right. So the adroit, this is their words here. The adroit says, I noticed a lot of those references to music and cinema from different eras, particularly black exploitation and Motown and how they have such a prominent role in this collection. It creates a vivid texture from a certain time and place that I really enjoyed, even if it didn't personally, even if I didn't personally know every single reference. It was almost like a museum of cultural artifacts from the speaker's memory on display for readers to wander around from Black Leroy to Nino Brown. How did these influences arrive to you? And when did you know they would be a major part of these poems? Mm -hmm. And Ahmad answers, if there's a poem that unlocks something in this book for me, it was Delphonic. I was thinking about old school R&B and trying to figure out how to sing these songs back into the landscape. Every block in Compton has a hidden soundtrack. The streets sing, and I want to return that song. Maybe I'm trying to write a duet, but shaping a song between body and landscape. The music is my Google map. It's how I navigate place and memory. Mm. Right? Ahmad! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean... I don't know if there's really anything to say or about the the quotation, but it just actually I'm, I'm gonna go back for a quick second. And he says, "Every block in Compton has a hidden soundtrack. The streets sing, and I want to return that song. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm trying to write a duet, but shaping a song between body and landscape." I don't think I've ever heard a more beautiful thing in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something. The misbehavior of it all, the the whimsy. Mm -hmm. One one question before we we move on to your poem: Is there a song that you want to return? Is there a place that sings and you want to return that song? Same place. I think about. 4507 West Wilcox. So I grew up most of my, my life. Mm -hmm. um, the grounds are tended well. Gates are buckled in, right? But there's a lot of love there. And when you read the Amat quote, I'm thinking a lot about hospitality 
there's a hospitality industry and it's all like making something proper to live, but it feels a, a bit, it can be overdone. Like you don't need as much as we portray to have something be hospitable. And that that work that poets do, as Ahmad mentions, writing duets to bring together things that are already in concert with each other, but rather making that more viewable, more, more easily parsed by those that aren't mm-hmm. treasuring it mm-hmm. at present. I think that's, it can feel like a thankless thing, but I am so thankful for those that I see doing that work. So that play stands out to me because my mother, my brothers, we would often go in and come out, go in and come out, but there's so much music around us that I'd say we didn't even recognize. And so right. maybe I'm always writing a poem to that place, right? I'm always writing a poem to to, to even bring my current self back there. The, the poem is a portal, right? Yes, it it is a portal. Yeah, you talking about that is, is making me think about some of my early years living in the projects in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and how I would love to return a song to that place too. I'm thinking about like the ice cream trucks that would roll by and we would chase the ice cream trucks as kids. And I remember like begging my grandmother for like a dollar so that I could get a Ninja Turtle ice cream, had the gumballs for the Oh, those are fire. (laughs) Yo, so good. good. And like that is the most, that's like the first song that I ever encountered. That's the first poem. And similarly to you, I would love to return that song to, to those places that people might overlook. And even in our own, as we get older, we maybe move further away from that experience and those actual physical locations. Sometimes we forget that song and I never want to I never want to forget that song or not give it the value that it deserves. And I'm so grateful that you are bringing that to the conversation. That's gorgeous. Put my time in there. Would love to hear that song, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to your poem. And is there anything you would like to share with us before you decide to read it? Yeah, I thought it's suitable to bring a poem from the collection that is thinking through stomaching, not out, well, your stomach, maybe your hunger, out talking your mind or logic, the aim for desire and being imprecise with that desire mm. yeah I, I i think of this poem a lot because my great my great grandmother she she passed away mm. last october and we always talked about like recipes she was a a master cook i would put her against bobby play any day yes <laughs> and her longevity within the kitchen and just her skill for filling gaps that were there with her food and with her word. So this poem thinks through those recipes, thinks through maybe that hunger that, again, was just always present around her and really around a lot of the matriarchs in the family. Oh, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Whenever you're ready. Entitled, Sometimes I Forget to Say Grace. You have been here before. The bread baking, then breaking, then a second wind. The evening evening out over the squeeze of hunched shoulders. The batter in the bellies of those who think the Lord implied. What's understood doesn't need to be explained. But what have you done with your five loaves lately? Nothing. I have multiplied nothing but my restlessness. I am in the business of brisk surrenders and blindfolds I can unhand if and where I see fit. The perfect crime is the one in which no one is caught fidgeting with the foil. I am not keen on taking down my own statements, but I do so after I get a snoop at my want and the heat rises. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, you're talking about music, like your play with words and with language is just, it's so much fun. And it's so, it's so melodious, like thinking of the bread baking, then breaking, then and then the the evening, evening. Ah! <laughs> I just I'm speechless actually, because it's it's something that you do so effortlessly. And listeners don't know, but I was able to read Olatunde's book Tenderheaded before it's being coming out in in December, and I got to write a little blurb about it. A generous and if, blurb. And if I may, <laughs> if I may, I would, I would love to just read this blurb real quick. The poems in Tenderheaded span a variation of volume, tone, and pitch. They beg to answer the question of what it means to be a Black man, not only surviving, but living. How does one look for a fight when it is already in you? To the speaker, language is a tool of delight and discovery, weaving in and out of sonic and idiomatic play. And everything is biblical, from the barbershop to the gas station to grandma's house. Through praise and parables, spells and invention, tender-headed challenges and captivates. It blooms beyond the page, strong in all its tenderness. Oh, I can be such a mess when the world lets me. Gorgeous with sympathy. Yep. Yes. <laughs> All the things that I said are so true. But I, I, I was wondering if you could talk to us about some of the, the language play that is so prevalent in this collection and obviously in this poem. And... Also, this book is organized by their musical terms that name each section, mm -hmm. which I 
obviously I loved because ugly music, every section is named after a part of a song. So mm -hmm. obviously I'm, I'm here for this. <laughs> so yeah, talk to us a little bit about the language play and the musicality in, in your work. Yeah. Music is essential. It's, it's, it is so often possibility and the chance to reconsider. So the bread baking, then breaking the mm -hmm. evening, evening out. I think even within the container of a poem, I ought not to forget the treasure that came before. Mm. We used to do this thing at Vandy Spoken Word when the line was like really good. We would say, we would just yell, rewind. <laughs> and I mean, hopefully the poet, they weren't too tied into the going forward that they couldn't go back. But when that chance happened to reconsider, we all, we're melting in that we're all there for that and so music and as you mentioned the sections here both forward and backward represent that journey that occurs and the oscillation the musical wave up and down yeah i think again music has been everything for me pretty much it's been the one steady thing for me throughout my life so the book, in a lot of ways, is for my brothers because we all were growing up in the choir. We all, my brother and my youngest brother went to boarding school for music. My middle brother was a soloist. And we always have this like running joke about whose voice could dip the lowest, right? Like mm -hmm. when we were growing up, which is so, so tied into the idea of the, ma the masculine, right? Like, oh, you can't have soprano. Right. But like, now we talk about how much we miss our soprano. Like, so point is to reconsider and allow the word to give us that grace to do so. Yeah, I'm happy for that obligation, maybe. Mm, I, I like that. I'm happy for that obligation. That's, that's beautiful. And that's so, that's so humble and graceful. And I, I don't, you're I don't, too kind. <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I was really drawn to the moment in the poem, obviously, that ties the Bible in there because I'm always bringing it back to the Bible. I grew up in church also, and I was the leader of the girl singing group in my church. I don't think I was very good, but I was the loudest, so I was then the leader. <laughs> Those often go hand in hand. So, sometimes, sometimes. But the line that says, but what have you done with your five loaves lately. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw that as an allusion to the story of when Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread. And it makes me think about what have you done with your five loaves recently? And I know that in this poem, the speaker answers here and says nothing. I have multiplied nothing. But I think I'm seeing and I'm feeling like this book here is like your five loaves mm. and, and poetry is like your five loaves. And I think that it, it is multiplying, it is reaching multiple people. And I think at the end of it, that's what that means. We're sharing this this bread, this word with with the world. And yeah, now I'm just gushing, but do you want to comment on anything I just said? 
<laughs> well, I'll say that was a sermon. A little sermonette a little, for you. Yeah, little, yeah. <laughs> I don't do say that for myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I. That's kind of you to to give a touch point to the collection. Yeah, I like to think of poetry as an applied practice because mm-hmm. I have no other way to sort through the divine. So besides what it tangibly represents in terms of being fed, I think like how else are we to be sustained? And the collection is altogether an interrogation of the within, long exposure, the mm-hmm. same way a photo can get so blurry in the light or amongst the light, perhaps. I'm thinking a lot about what the divine does to the heart. I've always commented on the idle mind, like what what to make of the idle heart. And so, yeah, I'm thinking about interrogation a lot, things I learn, things I choose to learn, what that says about my choices and what that says about like, my ability to vie for myself and others and community. Love can't be radical if it's not first uh, an evaluation of the self. So, well, that was just a sermon what you gave too. Now I'm curious I, if if you don't mind sharing, what is your relationship to religion and spirituality? I mean, you grew up in church, so how does that stand for you now? Yeah, I mean, I'm still in church. I, I grew up in church. My whole family grew up in church, and coming from where I come from, the Lord represents an ability to parse itself, right? Like it can mean a lot of different things. And people, we all misuse the image of God, maybe for our own purposes, right? So I'm even thinking about that, like what it means to release your pride. I know for me, um, in a masculine, cis-hetero, pride plays has played a part in my life. I can only speak for me and I don't would only choose to, right? So, but spirituality to many would mean to release or to admit that you don't know or can't know. So I appreciate that humbling, I guess, what that can do for my spirit and however you get your light, make sure it's pure, pure enough for you and pure enough to share in a way that doesn't hinder or obstruct someone else or rather elevates them but yeah that's my that's spirituality for me Mm. and it's always tied into like I said the divine and starting with disorientation and kind of working your way through the wilderness of that wow that is that is really profound and I don't even know if I have anything to follow up with that because it was just so Gordon like oh wow (laughs) (laughs) um wow just wow. I've really enjoyed talking about poems with you today. It's been a little light today in my world. I'm in the process of moving to a different apartment. Mm-hmm. It's only two streets down, but still it's a transition. It, it feels like everything, doesn't it? Two blocks uh, yeah. down is like a world away. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. whoa. Um, and I mean, I obviously coming into this interview, I was disoriented in so many ways, like my space is different. Things are not where they have been. And I feel like there was 
like a groundedness coming to this conversation and there was a light, there was a purity in, in this communion that we're experiencing right now. And that's what community is, right? Like, mm. so I, I appreciate that poetry is giving us that, that connection to the divine and to each other, right? right. Because with, I, at least for me, I think within us lies the divine. There's a piece of us that is, the reason we can connect to it is because it's part of us. We are part mm. of it. So anyways, before I, I get carried away, <laughs> <laughs> as I already have been carried away. Now is the time for the gluten-free segment or glutton-free as I like to call it, where we leave you with a little morsel you don't need to feel guilty about indulging in, usually a writing prompt related to the poems we've heard or the topics that we've discussed. So Olatunde, what do we have for our congregation today? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, folks, you mentioned earlier the nonsense that happens with doo-wop. I think I don't, I don't, I think I have, I have a tie-in maybe to do out that kind of can work as a prompt. I think of it like earth, wind, and fire. There's the nonsense, which is the wind, um, what grounds you in a way in that world. The fire, which is the harmonic threads with how you, how you pitch with each other, how you tie into each other and explode after. And the earth, which is what you need to say when you need to say it. So... Mm-hmm. The prompt here um, is thinking about elements, seasons, I think, that occur in every poem. And my prompt would be to write an amorous ode with any of the four seasons in mind and relocate your final declaration or your line uh, to the top of the poem until what we call the heat circulates, so you feel warm after. So, mm. Mm. I, I I like that. And... This is such a sophisticated and beautiful prompt. <laughs> like we're really thinking about so many different things here. And I like the fact that the nonsense can come out and play and we can mm-hmm. really think about assigning it meaning as we're writing through this particular season that we might have in mind. And that's, Cause you're right. Every poem does include a season to some degree. Like there's, there's a season there somewhere like beyond what the speaker is saying, you know, looking through the window, there is a season. So I, I love this prompt. Thank you for this offering. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So listeners, if you write a poem using the prompts we've suggested, we ask that you submit it for consideration to be published in a future anthology that will showcase work inspired by this podcast. So please submit your poems to pplpsubmissions at gmail.com, or you can submit using the form linked in the show notes on the Instagram bio and my website. All of those are in the show notes. As a reference, you can also find a link in the show notes, obviously, and on Instagram to an archive of the writing prompts on each episode so far. Olatunde, anything you'd like to promote in the area, your community highlights, where to get the best records, where to get your book? Tell us tell us things. Yeah, little five points. Definitely, if you're in Atlanta, there's a new store that's opened up there. I forget the name right now, but if DNLA does me the pleasure, I will make sure it gets to the listeners. Yeah, definitely go there. I just picked up a couple records. I'm a big vinyl guy, so I like the scratch of it all. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the book comes out December 5th. It's my sincere hope that anyone that has the time and resources able to uh, just sit with it. Yeah, that would be the honor of a lifetime. <laughs> um, but yeah, this has been an absolute pleasure for me to be here with you, Danielle. I appreciate your time, your effort, yeah. your mind, your heart. So yeah. Yeah. Where can where can people find you? You can find me. My tag is at Tunde La Soul. So yeah, you should be able to find me there. If not, the website is just my full name, not including the four middle names. not including double joy okay (laughs) unfortunately unfortunately but yeah you can find you there well i hope people look for your poems look for your book december 5th y'all please buy this book if you can and follow olatunde and see what he's up to in, in the poetry world so Thank you for joining us again and sharing your beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. This has been Bread and Poetry Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Bread and Poetry Podcast and Twitter at Bread Poetry Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe to keep this thing kicking. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. You can follow them on Instagram at PPLPNH. Please consider making a donation at PPLP.org slash donate to help fund this nonprofit and its mission to further build community through poetry. This podcast is also sponsored in part by the Academy of American Poets with funds from the Mellon Foundation. Bread and Poetry is produced by Kula Productions. Cover art is by Najee Brown and theme music is by Studias. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bread and Poetry coming at ya, because truly, who doesn't love bread? And who doesn't love poetry? Until then, my dear ones. Olatunde yeah. Osanaki? Okay. Yeah, Olatunde. Olatunde Osanaki. That is a beautiful ass name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunate. Yeah, fortunate for sure. Right? Like, yeah. I'm so happy that my name's not like Ashley or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, would, it wouldn't match the personality. You kind of have to flow with it. I guess it predetermines a little bit who you are, how you, how you move. So, yeah, imagine your name was like Brian or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my one of my close friends, though, is named Brian. So <laughs> we can't go too much on it. But yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I would fit a Brian. Up, so I don't know. I guess that's uh, kudos to him and kudos to me. Yeah, yeah. Olatunde Osanaki. That's beautiful. (laughs)